0: Good morning. Good morning. How are we all this morning? Who'd rather be in church than the best hospital on Perth. Yeah. <laughs> it's fantastic. It is Father's Day and uh, you know part of my own quirky personalities I don't like focus on me birthdays and anniversaries mother's day father's day christmas bar mitzvahs you know if i left anything out um you know father's day probably has got more to do with our consumer society than uh, much else it's a good excuse for you to go out and buy chock socks and jocks <laughs> and uh so uh And, of course, it causes into focus the whole thing of, you know, fathers. And, you know, some of us have great fathers. Thank God for great dads. And some of us have uh, fathers that uh, are less than great. So we can feel quite ambivalent sometimes about mums and dads and uh, how all that works. Um, I have a a photographic journal at home of um, some... um, people that suffer from mental illness who have been incarcerated for life in a Brazilian mental establishment. This is not high class. And uh, the pictures tell a story, Uh, you know, shot after shot of these very tragic individuals and they all just have got one caption from one of the patients. And uh, one of the patients inside says that the best thing and the worst thing that ever happened to me Was my father. It was an interesting statement. The best thing and the worst thing that ever happened to me was my dad. So, uh, the great thing is, is that uh, what really makes you you is not your body, it's not your physical DNA. What really makes you you is the invisible stuff in you, which is created by God, the Father of spirits. And the inside of you is made by God the Father. And he's a good God. And he loves you and He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Uh, just this week, we received an email from uh, Jeff and Sue Smith saying one of the workers in their team, their daughter, her name is Rebecca, she's 14 years of age, was shot by a stray bullet. And the bullet passed from her, went into her right chest, Mr. her heart and was lodged in her left lung and the local hospital in Peshawar refused to treat her. And so they tried to uh, get her into a private hospital in the city, and uh, they were also were very uh, reticent to receive her. And so this is 24 hours after being shot. And so they're now racing Rebecca up to the mountains to see a Christian doctor who will conduct some trauma surgery on little Rebecca's life. And so we need to believe God for miracles for Rebecca and uh, there are all sorts of other folk that have needs in their lives today. I'm just going to pray. So you take the hand of someone next to you and can you believe for a miracle? Do you believe that God does wonderful things, amazing things? So we're going to pray. Dear Father, we thank you that we can call you Father, our Father in heaven. How great is your name. Lord, we come to you today to ask for bread, Lord, for the basic needs of these individuals. And Lord, we ask, knowing that you're a good God and you'll give, Lord, what we ask for today. We ask, Lord, for Rebecca, for Hannah, Lord, for uh, the Jarvis family, Lord, for Lorraine, Lord, for Jeff. Lord, I've probably forgotten others, but you know their name. Dear God, work your wonder, work your power, work your miracles. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Amen. Well, we've been uh, going through a series on the book of Corinth. And uh, 1 Corinthians, great book. And last week we tried to cover, in a relatively short period of time... Uh, one of the most controversial texts in the Bible. And I tried to sort of like deal with the principle of the matter rather than get caught up on the individual details of the issue. And uh, nevertheless, that sermon probably generated more discussion than the other sermon I've preached for a long time. It seems that some of you actually really want to dive into the detail. So we're going to just try and handle this again and perhaps bring out a few other aspects. And one of the judgments calls that I try to make for you as your pastor, Sunday by Sunday, is what is going to help you have a successful, abundant life that Jesus promises you? Because you haven't come to get theology. You haven't come to get a sermon. True. You've come for answers. And so sometimes I think churches end up trying to scratch where people aren't itching. But I don't want to go to the other thing. Well, All I do is try and meet felt needs and tell you what's good for you rather than what's on the heart of God. So one of the great keys, if you stay off the Bible, then you eventually, hopefully, get a balanced diet. I could live on meat, chocolate, and coffee. If you say to me, Mike, for the rest of your life, all you're going to do is eat steak, coffee, and chocolate. I'm not going to be disappointed. I'm going to say, bring it on. <laughs> I can live on that. However, I may not end up being as healthy as if you stirred in some broccoli. Who loves broccoli? <laughs> I can't believe it. Broccoli. You know the difference between snot and broccoli? Nothing. Kids eat snot. <laughs> I can't believe you eat broccoli it's green it's green. they look like little alien trees from outer space <laughs> oh i i think uh i think my wife and i are gonna go organic very soon so seems to be the next thing that might help our health so I might start fading away like David too. So So we're going to... Now, let me say that 1 Corinthians 11, 2 through the 16, that Anna-Marie read for us so well last week, is the longest, most difficult passage in the New Testament to find out what's actually going on. And so it is a tough text. So we'll try and walk through the text a little bit and actually still try to bring out something that's relevant for you as you leave the building. So that's what we're going to try and do. So next slide. Oh, do you like the... Go back. Did you like the slide? It, it, it's a pretend thing. It's Photoshop. But if someone wants to give me a Harley, I won't say no. Okay. No, no, the other one. Yeah, the first one. Yeah. That's the skinny mic too. So. <laughs> All right, move on. Okay, thank you. Uh, the veil you know in some cultures it's a really big deal um, and you know, I just think this is an amazing image you know well done you know and you just think of the future that this girl will have as a young girl in a veiled community like that aren't you glad you live in Australia hallelujah so next next slide okay it's a tough text and we're going to try and work out. You've got the word head, 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 head going through. You've got the word woman, woman, woman. Or whoa, man. <laughs> and you've got glory, you've got design, all those sorts of things. Actually, it's fantastic to have um, uh, Holly and Aaron Cordell in church this morning because she wore the veil on Thursday and looked beautiful, absolutely beautiful. So... There's uh, girls still want to wear a veil someday in their life, don't they? No? Yes, you know, don't, don't, did I? Crystal's nodding her head. <laughs> Subtle as a slip. Girls want to wear the veil one day. Okay, next one. So let's try and work it out. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding on to the traditions that I pass on to you. So. He's commenting on the fact that whilst you're a cock case on many other things as a church, at least you are listening to me on some things. And I now want you to realize that the head, say head, Head. of every man is Christ, and the head of every wall man is man, and the head of Christ is God. Verse 3 is the tough text to deal with. But let me ask you a question, pop quiz, talk to your neighbour if you need. Is the word head... In verse three, physical or spiritual. Who says it's who says it's physical head? Who says it's spiritual? Who's not gonna put up the hand for anything? Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Karina. So it's probably spiritual. Okay? Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors. His head, and every woman who prays or prophesies with her head, uncovered dishonors her head. Now, right now in verse 4, what are we talking about here? Physical head? Spiritual head? It's getting a bit harder to find out, isn't it? Yeah. Okay. Um but if we say if a man if a woman prays with her head uncovered, is that physical head? Or spiritual head? Ah, you're figuring out why this is a hard one, why there's lots and lots and lots of books on this. Okay. So now we go on. But everyone who prays or prophesies with a head uncovered, which means that women pray and prophesy. Hallelujah. They do pray and prophesy. Val's got a hat on, which is so good. <laughs> It's cold. <laughs> well, that really wrecks my sermon though <laughs> She's got long hair and a hat on. There you go. So biblical, aren't you? So, But uh, anyway, verse 6. Mike, don't preach, teach. Because otherwise we'll be here for long. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But if it's a disgrace for a woman, but if it is, In some cultures, it is a disgrace for a woman to have her head shaved off. In the Greek culture of that particular time, as in Jewish culture, it either was a sign of mourning or a sign of punishment as an adulterer or an ambiguous sexual signal. Uh, But if it's a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or a head shaved, then she should cover her head. If it's shameful, then cover it. A man ought not to cover his head, since he's in the image and the glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from the woman, but woman came from the man. So Paul's going back to Genesis chapter 3. Neither was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. Then verse 10 is the tough one, because whatever he's talking about, it's for this reason, that he's having all this. It's for this reason that a woman should have something on her head because of angels. Okay? Tough? Um, Verse 10. "Nevertheless Nevertheless, in the Lord, say in the Lord. In the Lord, woman is not independent of the man, nor is man independent of the woman. For a woman came from man, so also the man is born of woman. So everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper based on customary practice for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? The answer in Greek is no. In Greek language, it tells you the answer of the question. In English, you don't know unless it's by the inflection of the voice. You don't mind if I spend, uh, spend some money on your credit card, do you, dear? <laughs> not in the grammar but it's in the inflection of the voice and so judge for yourselves does not very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair it's a disgrace for him now the jews were quite conscious of men who had Nazarite vows that wore long hair so it's not talking about the exceptions where a woman may have no hair because of say cancer or a man may have long hair because of nazirite it's talking about standard acceptable practice okay And uh, so if anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. So one of the things that verse 16 tells us, that this is certainly, if it's a difficult text, we shouldn't get contentious about it. Contentious never should be the issue. Okay, next slide. Thank you. Two basic views of what the covering is. One view is that Paul was establishing A positive divine law to be honored by all Christian women. Say all. All. American, howdy y'all. All All Christian women in all places. Say "All." all. For all times. That's one way to handle the text. The other way to handle the text is Paul commands Christians to avoid. Any conduct or actions that would violate the peculiar customs of their time or place. It's a fork in the road, isn't it? Which one's been said here? I tend to favor, as you know from last week, the one on your right. Okay, next one. Next slide, thank you. There's something that is clear about this passage is the where and the when of it. The what's a little bit mysterious, but the where is quite clearly in the context of the public congregation coming out to worship. The when is when they pray or prophesy. When they're moving in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, when they're taking on a place or a status where they're speaking on behalf of God or behalf of God's people, that's when they're meant to observe and give attention to these things. So that's clear. That's useful, isn't it? Why? Because there needs to be a sign of authority now let me make a night jump exegetical move right now saying how does that apply today can anybody in this congregation at any time just get up and bring a word of prophecy or a word of interpretation or tongues or move in the spirit what would be the sign of authority that they are in the right place with the right heart, rightly known, rightly connected with our church to do that. Today it's probably not a veil. Today it's probably not a wedding ring. It would be probably something else. But Paul says it's an important deal because angels are present. And the angels are concerned about rank, about submission, and about authority. Jude 6 actually says that the angels that fell, their crime was is that they did not keep their position. They did not keep rank. Literally the Greek word as a soldier breaking the ranks. And so angels are sensitive to this. And so how do you do that now in a modern context? Well, maybe in our church, the way that we say you've got authority to minister, the sign of authority is that you actually come out the front and you check with the pastor, or you check with Gary, check with Karen, or one of our other leading staff, and you submit it to you, and then you come up and use the microphone. If someone's coming out the front, and you know they've spoken to me first, and that they now have the microphone, you know that they're acting with authority. You see? Isn't that useful? And that's what we have to do with the text of the Bible, over and over again, is find out what is the local truth that's being revealed there, and how does that apply to us today? How do we reshape, reland the truth of God? So it's a sign of authority because it's important. It's also interesting underlying that maybe the issue that within churches there are people that want to move in the gifts, they want to pray, and they want to prophesy, but they don't want to do it under authority. They actually want to move, they want to do stuff, and yet they're not submissive. They're not submission. Not in submission to the pastor. Not in submission to the vision. Not in submission to their husband or their or or their boss. They're actually rebels, and that's an interesting dynamic that's actually in play in the text here in Corinth. So it's much more about hat and hairs, isn't it? Yeah. Next one. Thank you. So hat and hairs. So. What's the text talking about here in terms of hat and hairs? My mum converted to Catholicism to marry my father in four weeks because she'd missed her period. It's a very good reason to get into sleep. And so she was taught that she had to wear a veil. I can remember many times as a young boy going to church, Catholic church, and uh, mum would say, oh, I forgot my veil. So she'd take out a hanky and she'd put it on her head like this and go to church with a hanky on her head. Which I always thought was the most bizarre thing. (laughs) To go to church with a hanky on your head. But I suppose, you know, that made her feel like she was being obedient to Scripture. We all want to be obedient to Scripture. But of course, the moment you start saying, you've got to have a covering on your head, then you've got to start saying, well, what sort of a covering? Is it a long, how long's long hair? Is the hair allowed to be done up in a bun? The trouble with law is the moment you make one law, you actually always have to then make another law to interpret that law. And then you make another law to interpret that law. Have you ever read the Old Testament? Then you make another law to interpret that law. just goes on and on and on. And ultimately, what genuine relationship with God's about is about developing the inner life, not the outward conformity. I did know of a lady many years ago who was involved in a particular Pentecostal cult. And in that cult, they believed that it was actually a sin for you to cut your hair if you're a female. And so they had incredible, all the girls had all these incredible. Beautiful, long hair. My wife was in that cult. I, when I met her, one of the things that really attracted me to her, she had beautiful, long hair down to the middle of the back. I thought that was nice. But later on, I discovered as i got more involved with this particular group of people that they weren't allowed to cut their hair, which is great if you've got really healthy hair. But eventually some of the girls what happens they get what's called split ends. It's not a rock band, it's a biological phenomenon where your hair starts to split. Us boys know all about this stuff. (laughs) And so but so then the hair starts to go all bad and all sorts of frizz and they can't do anything else like this. And I knew one lady who would not cut her hair. And she's always lamenting that my hair's falling out. It's in bad shape. In fact, her hair was getting shorter and shorter because she wasn't allowed to cut the hair. Okay? And I'd say and her, says, why don't you get a haircut? Why don't you just trim off the... Why don't you get one? Uh, get hot iron or something? I think, yes, I'll learn some stuff. I'm not totally... You know, you can burn off some of those hair things, you know. She says, I can't do that. She says, why? Because... It's what the Bible commands. But the interesting thing was, she was in total rebellion to her husband. I mean, in a subtle way. You, you know, in a subtle way. But you know, she slept in a different bedroom. That's one sign. Yeah. I'm in total submission to my husband by sleeping in a different bedroom. Yeah. No. 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 <laughs> yeah. So here she is, she's locked into the legalism of an outward form that this shows that I'm in submission to my covering. And yet in her heart, she was one of the biggest rebels I've ever met. And that's what God's always been interested in. The scribes and the Pharisees were brilliant at wearing the clothes and standing on the street corners and saying, hey, look, I'm going to pray now. This is going to be such a big deal. Let's blow a trumpet. Come around, see how good I am. Yea, verily, thus the Lord. And away they go. And he says, "Well, Ash, I'm after your heart, and I can see the outside, but on the inside, you don't believe and don't live half the things that you preach and teach." So God's actually after the heart. Say that God's after the heart. So next slide. Okay. So what were the cultural messages being sent by a woman who had come into the congregation at Corinth? And so if you were a Corinthian woman back in the times when Paul was writing, the culture is actually Roman. I won't bore you of how that happened, but basically the Romans owned the world at that time. So Greek culture that's now become Romanized. And so Greek woman coming there, when she would go into the, if con- she went outside, she was meant to have a veil on her head, saying that she's married. It would be the equivalent of a married woman having their wedding ring on today. It's saying that you are married, that you're in covenant relationship. And so, when these women came into the congregation, they had heard Paul teach that there's neither male nor female in Jesus Christ. They had heard Paul teach that. Uh, that in the last days the Spirit of God will come upon all flesh, and your young maidens will prophesy. That the women will be involved in this thing, and there'll be a great equalizing of things because the Holy Spirit does not actually bother about your gender. Yeah, she just wonders about your heart and stuff. So this is what they've been taught. So they have then then they've made an application. That is, that they've come into the congregation. They want to pray, they want to prophesy, so they take off their veil to say, I am free to connect with God personally. There's actually nothing theologically or morally wrong with that. The problem is the person walking in from the outside walks in and they misunderstand because it sends the wrong message. Because in the Roman world... If you look here, this is actually from some ancient pottery of the same place, out of Corinth, and there there is a prostitute actually sitting on a couch with her, uh, probably her lover that's paid money for favours. And how is her hair being presented there? It's undone, and it's unruly. You know the, the passage that where there is no vision, the people cast off restraint, the people perish. The word for perish, cast off restraint, is literally is to have disheveled hair, okay? It is literally to have your hair in a mess. I only have to look in the mirror sometimes (laughs) in the morning. And here we have over on the other side, there is a Roman man actually making a votive offering to the gods, and he has his head covered. So when you were to come in the church, if you knew nothing about church, And you've been invited by a Corinthian person just down the road. You know, we'll call him Giuseppius. And he says, "Giuseppe says, come to church on Sunday. We want to invite you to the Garpe feast. Please come along. And you walk into it and you know nothing. All of a sudden you start seeing all the girls with their their, their veils off and all the men with their veils on. You're thinking, I'm confused what's going on here. Really confused. So he's trying to correct that. Which means you shouldn't send wrong cultural messages. When people look at you, when people look at me, they're reading your life to saying what do you really believe? Now we shouldn't be so superficial. Should actually find out what's really happening in people. You know, people could look at thou sometimes coming, uh, you know, with ugg boots on and whatever, make all sorts of superficial claims can't they we shouldn't do that but we do we do that for the bible everybody's interpreting the bible everybody's interpreting the bible everybody's interpreting mike and everybody's interpreting you so we've got to give some thought as to what messages do you want to send next slide okay who are we looking at here boy george don't know why they call him boy george And who's the other one? Ellen DeGeneres. So these are people that are known to have gender issues and yet it reflects on their dress. I'm not going to say that every woman that's got short hair has made a bad sexual choice. Could be that they've just got their hairs falling out or that they might have actually given some money to... um, The cancer thing. What's it called? Shave for a cure, which would be a tremendous thing to do. My son grew up with a beard from the time he was fourteen. And this church paid a thousand dollars to see his face, <laughs> which he donated to buy some of the chairs that you sit upon. But until then, we didn't know he had a face. <laughs> so that was a cultural thing. That was. <laughs> it's a very good face too. So man should be. That was so bad. <laughs> Men should be? Come on, with some more. <laughs> Men should be? That's better. And women should be? <laughs> and small furry creatures should be? Small furry creatures, yes, absolutely, okay. Uh, if we had a lot of time today, I'd talk about on just how tough it is to be a man. I'd get out the tissue box. Oh, no, no, you guys, guys. Yeah, yeah it's true. You do not know how hard it is to be a man. <laughs> it's so difficult today. They expect us to be responsible and to fix the world. <laughs> It's so tough being a man, and but then again, I could probably get uh, one of our great ladies in the house to come up and tell us it's not so easy being a girl either. It's got a, it's got a few challenges as well, but actually, it's quite difficult. And what the world has done, particularly I think the devil, and our culture, is it's trying to remove the distinction between being a godly man and a godly woman. We're trying to say those differences don't matter. They matter. Absolutely matter. And there are secular scientists, sociologists who have actually proven that what's actually wrong with the world today is actually a failure of masculinity. The men have lost their way. And now we don't know how to fix things. We don't know. Essentially, masculinity is not the ability to be able to produce tadpoles. Essentially, masculinity is the ability to lead. And the very first thing Adam was required to do was to stand in front of all the animals and name them. And so the man said, This is a lion. This is... Is a giraffe. This is a rhinoceros. And then the next thing he had to do was to stand by his wife as offering her, offering him some fruit. And he was meant to say, "This is wrong. This is evil. This is deception." And a big, fat, dumb. Shit Stupid man he was. Kept his mouth shut. And essentially masculine, it is ability to open up your mouth, guys, and say, this is what it is. And this is the way we're going to go. Not in dominance, not in bullying, not in intimidation, but to say, this is the way the world should work. As for me and my household, We shall serve the Lord. It's not open for debate. So, but I don't have all that time. so I'm not going to say any of that stuff. Okay. Uh, Pray for Ellen. She'd make a great Christian. Bless her. The influence that she has. Uh, Next one. So now I want to talk about the elephant in the room. Submission. As Australians, we just love submission. You know, I've done this before in, in some congregation, but it's interesting. You go to Asia and you say to an Asian congregation, "Would you all please stand up?" They all stand up. If I say to you, "Would you all please stand up?" Yeah, exactly. That's exactly the issue. so yeah that's exactly the issue you're sitting there saying what you're talking to me you're talking to me mate you're actually getting me to stand up in the middle of the sermon no no you're talking to someone else obviously you know who do you think you are did i hear you right that's the default setting of the aussie and hey, i love the aussie love the aussie we do some incredible things but we're by default a nation of rebels. It's the elephant in the room. Now, this is the thing. I do marry people. I married my wife and I've married a few others down the line. I've conducted the ceremony, okay. (laughs) Just just my bad thing. And often we'll sit down with the intended couple, and we'll say to them, "Do you want the traditional vows? Do you want to make up your own vows, etc." Always, don't let them make up their own vows. Vows—they come, they can be really strange, some of them. <laughs> and and what I get to the thing is, okay, here are the traditional vows. I will promise to love and to respect, and you get to the girls bit and says, "And to obey." And I said, "I have good, fine, loving, outstanding Christian women." So I'm not going to say that. I'm not going to obey him. (laughs) This has happened for years. They don't want to obey their husbands. Mind you, have a look at some husbands and maybe you know something I don't know. (laughs) Yet it's actually something's going on here in the text about submission, about submission. You know, and the truth is, you know, you've got to be submitted. We live submitted lives. Ultimately, we must submit to God. Amen? We should submit to our government. Even the speed signs. (laughs) Somebody looked a bit shocked by that one. We should submit to our bosses. Yes? Children should submit to their parents. So we're actually not that opposed to submission. It's just a case of who do we choose to submit to? We should submit to our pastors. Yeah, be, 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 be smart about it. Be smart about it. <laughs> not every government, not every pastor, not every husband, not every parent should be submitted to. And the Bible expects us to know where do we bow the knee and where do we not bow the knee. Some things we should not bow to. But it's the elephant in the room where does submission work so here we go into the text next slide submission so here we got 11 corinthians 1 corinthians 11 verse 3 it's the operative verse in this particular pericope And it says in the King James Version that was written in 1611, 400, 450 years ago, when women were down the mines pulling coal carts, they did not have the right to vote, could not divorce, and were considered to be goods and chattel that you could actually will away. It was a different day, an absolutely different day. It was permissible for a man to divorce his wife. A man could have several mistresses and a wife just had to say, if that's what the deal is, that's the way it's go. So that's when it was written. And so the King James puts it out. I want you to know that Christ is the head of every man. We actually can probably say amen to that. I don't know if it, it's, I think as a statement of ideal, we could all say amen. Is it a statement of reality? No. Okay. And the man is the head of the woman, a woman. And God is the head of Christ. The message version, which is very, uh, you know, idiomatic. But, you know, the New new Revised Standard Version puts it in the same way as well, which is a very, very well-established critical interpretation of the Bible. Says In a marriage relationship... There is authority from Christ to the husband, from the husband to the wife, and the authority of Christ is the authority of God. They are theologically very different topics, aren't they? They go to different places. I tend to not think that just because I'm male, I am every female's head. I don't think I can walk into Heather's home on Tuesday night and say, Heather, I'm here, where's my meal? (laughs) John would probably show me the door very quickly. (laughs) But can I walk into my own home and say, Honey, where's the meal? If I dare. (laughs) Okay, next slide. We need to get you out on time, it's Father's day. So I don't the next one, back. So I don't want to split hairs, but the word head here is the word kephale which can be translated source it can be translated physical head in fact it's been translated about 50 different ways. So you've actually got to do the hard work of saying what does it mean in this context? And when you see as you work through the passage that the word head in 1 Corinthians verse 11 verse 3 is spiritual then it moves to the physical head one of the things that we know is whatever's happening he's still talking about something that goes on the physical head so whether you want to take the view that uh, god is the source of every man and man is the source of every woman or you want to take it that the man is the authority that the husband's authority it actually doesn't matter it still talks about how you then put something on your head because of angels. So whilst it's interesting to try and establish what's going on here in this text, it still doesn't ultimately change the fact that Paul's asking us to behave properly when it comes to praying and prophesying in the life of the church. And sometimes we're messing it all up because everybody's got their hats on, the veils on, and yet the person who comes out to prophesy is the person who's not in submission to anybody and some rebel who's going to come and the past of what's wrong and you know and all that sort of stuff that can happen. We're missing the whole point sometimes. So you know I hope this is helping you understand that if you if you work with the Bible long enough it's got answers. It's really got answers. Okay, so let's not split the hairs. Next one. Uh, Here we go. Husband submit to Christ. Wife wanted rich and beautiful and obedient. (laughs) I like the other guy's sign, why lie, I just want beer. (laughs) Who wants to submit to these guys? Not me, not you, doesn't matter what our gender is. Do we have a problem with the idea that all husbands should submit to Christ? Who reckon that our homes and our, our neighborhoods and our churches would be better if the man of the house was fully submitted to Christ? absolutely bring it would actually make the world a better place would there be a wife that would have any difficulties of all of submitting to a husband who is submitted to christ i have had so many women over my 30 years of pastoral ministry so i would just love to have a man who would just put jesus first in our home i have had Women have been married to Christian men. Say that to me over and over again. I just wish you would take the lead. Here's a little diagnostic. If you do sit round a table now and have a meal, most of us don't, but if you do, uh, do you do grace? And do you do devotions? Just a simple thing. Just take five minutes to go through You know, every day of Jesus or something like that. And who is the one reminding us this is what we do as a family? Because the Bible says that there's someone who's appointed to that role in the family. It's not the kids. It's not mum. It's dad. That's his job. But I have never heard a woman complain if my husband submitted to Christ I can't submit to his leadership. In fact, they would welcome it. Girls, am I helping you here? Is this sounding about... Well, Francis agrees. Ladies, does that sound okay? All right. Next one. So what we have to do is stand between the two extremes. Most people who quote to me 1 Corinthians 11 verse 3 or 1 Corinthians 14 verse 34 or 2 Timothy chapter 2 verses 11 to 12 about women's submission or the women must remain silent in the church or, you know, women must be under the Most men I've said that are actually dominating and abusive husbands. That's a big call, I know. It's a big call, but they're justifying their arrogant behavior, their selfish behavior by saying, God has made me the king of our household and you will do what I'm saying. I know that's a big call. I might have even upset you, but that's been my experience. They can't use, they don't have enough love and leadership and legacy in their life that the woman and the family are naturally falling behind because it's a good deal. They're actually chasing them with the big stick, the big Bible stick, saying you must do this, you must do this, because I'm not feeling that you are responding. So we need to stand between the two extremes. One is that ultra-conservative religious view that says that I'm the head of the house and you will do what I tell you and every woman needs to do what I tell you and stuff like that. And essentially we're back where where the Muslims are today. Now the other extreme is, of course, is where many women are today, where they're feeling that, well, who are you? I'll make up my own mind. I don't like the idea of leadership. I want to make up my own decisions. And I don't like submitting as well. They are both wrong ends of the spectrum. In the middle, God had a perfect plan. That perfect plan is that he would create men and women as equal. And that God would be in the middle of that relationship. And I'm going to say some very big things very quickly. Hopefully you can catch it. But marriage is meant to be a picture of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. A triune community in perfect love and perfect submission. You know, God the Father is obviously the boss of the tri-personality of God. He is the God. But the Son is also God. Not now my, my my mind's hurting, okay? And so now the Holy Spirit's God. My mind's hurting. But somehow they are in total unity and in total submission, and it's the perfect representation of love. And when God created mankind, He made them male and female And his intention was that together they would involve him and they would learn what it was to be a representation of what God is on the earth. You know, one of the most powerful witnessing tools available today, I'm not joking, is a godly man and a godly woman living in a godly home with godly children. People from out there will walk in and their jaws will drop when they see love, service. Where the man of the house will get up and say, Honey, let me do the dishes tonight. But by the way, I don't want that to happen. That we're not gonna watch that TV show. That's not what we do as a family. Hmm? Is that making a bit of sense? So Ephesians 5.25 says that men are to love their wives as Christ loved the church and gave up his life for the church. That's pretty big love. It's not domination. Does Jesus love the church? Does he dominate the church? Does he abuse the church? Does he yell at the church? Does he kick the church out of the marriage bed? He doesn't, does he? He loves the church and he has every right to do all those things because he's Lord. But he gives up his life for the church to nurture it, to grow it. So it's a bride without wrinkle, without spot, a wonderful bride. And of course, the contrasting verse I've picked is Acts 5.29, which is we must obey God and not man. And some ladies say, yes, Lord must obey God. so there comes a point where you've got to make a decision I cannot submit to this because this person's not submitted to God they' submitted to God's a different issue. So finally I think we're almost there undercover. we all need to be under covering and uh, churches provide a covering but men are meant to have a covering under God. And you may remember a number of years ago, I preached a little message on the prayer shawl, the Jewish tallit. The Jewish men would actually pray with their head covered and they would actually make the tallit, which actually means a little tent. Not everybody can go to the tabernacle. So you can create your own little tent over your head and be there with God. So men, we're to have our own little place where we can Come under the covering of a holy God and get instructions for my house, for my family, and my kids. I I get dreams. And uh, I don't get them all the time. Uh, But I get spiritual dreams. And uh, about two years ago, I had a spiritual dream. Well, I saw myself in this dream conducting a funeral for my own daughter. And, you know, it's just, poof, bang. I'm doing this funeral, and I had no sense that she was saved, but she knew God. Terrified me. Absolutely terrified me. Many of the dreams that I've had like that come true. And then as a father, what do you do? Well, I didn't ignore it. And uh, I found a little tent. I'd go and then I'd pray and intercede for my daughter. And today she's doing really good. And she's found Jesus and doing good. Russell Evans now passes the second largest church in Australia. Uh, Planet Shakers Church is now ministering to about 8,500 people every week. Pretty good. Russell was a difficult boy. Difficult enough that he actually underwent psychiatric treatment on a number of occasions. That's a difficult boy. Absolutely. They thought he was just a bit mad and a little bit like a cut snout. There was a time when Russell, the thing that he sort of latched onto as a troubled kid was music. And uh, he got to a place where he was uh, uh, getting really good on the guitar and he had some good vocal strengths and whatever. And often if you grow up in church, you know, you get all this exposure to the music and, you know, we'll let anybody have a go type idea sometimes. And so he was developed in all that setting. And uh, he comes to mum now, he's about 15 years of age, he says to mum, to Lorraine, uh, mum, uh, they're, they're starting up a little group at the, the school where I'm going to, It's just a rock and roll band and stuff, nothing too heavy whatever, but I would like to go and be a part of this. just means I'm going to be out some Saturday nights and some practices and things like that. And mum said, yeah, fine, fine, not a problem. Happy that her son's happy. And then that night, the Spirit of God comes on her. And God says, not for Russell. It will destroy Russell. So the next day, she got up and spoke to Andrew, her husband. They sat down with says, No, you can't do music, son. And he said, oh, yes, okay, Dad. (laughs) Uh, No, he actually was very, very upset. Great challenge in the phone. But they said, no, we believe that we have spiritual insight as to God's plan for your life. And today, of course, Planet Shakers is a well-known brand and part of what's made them very successful is their music. Hello, hello. What was the devil trying to do? Oh, we need godly men and godly women who know what it is just not to wait for Sunday to lead their family, to lead their environment, to lead their kids in the ways of God, but people that will be men and women will be women and small fairy creatures will be More furry creatures. (laughs) Yes, There we go. May God help all of us. The task of leadership, whether you're a pastor, whether you're leading a business, or whether you're leading family, is fraught with great challenges. We have enough trouble leading ourselves sometimes without trying to lead others. So if you are a man, if you're married, if you're a woman, my heart goes out to you. But we here, we want to see God build great, strong families. Because out of that come strong churches and strong nations. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for fathers. Lord, ideally, you planted that fathers would be a picture of you, that fathers could be reliable, they'd be ones that could bring wisdom. Ones that you could go and talk to about your problems. That fathers were that strength, that rock. And that fathers would tell us who we are. Lord, there are young boys here, young girls. Lord, there are old boys and old girls who are still waiting for a voice of a father to tell them that they are okay. And that this is who you are to give them that definition. Lord, if we've not received that, Lord, from a natural source, Lord, it's my prayer that this morning that they can hear it from your voice, from your heart, that you are the lover of their soul, that you have a plan and a purpose for each one of us. And, Lord, that in you, in the beloved, Lord, we are accepted. We are loved. We thank you, Lord, that you love us. And Lord, that you're going to perfect us. You loved us enough to find us, Lord. You also loved us enough, Lord, not to...